0: bitches and welcome to wellness for real it's your girl marlena and today i have a very special episode for you guys we're going to talk all about smart home buying and selling a process (laughs) that i am simultaneously going through right now and really wanted to bring on a team of amazing professionals to answer all of your questions and to really talk about the basics so that we can all make smart home buying and selling decisions in this crazy housing market. Everybody's information is linked in the description of this episode. So if you want to reach out to Danny or Chris, uh, please do. And they are amazing and will help you through this process. Um, And then we also have Teresa, my sister on this episode as well. Uh, So we have a realtor, a lender, and a processor to really break down the basics uh, of home buying and selling. So buckle up, y'all. It's about to get real. All right, y'all, we're here today. I have my dream team. We'll let you guys introduce yourselves uh, one by one, whoever wants to start.
1: Okay. I'm uh, Teresa Coffey. <laughs> my NMLS number is 7378560 and I am a mortgage loan processor with refined lending, a division of Goldwater bank.
0: And what, what is your role, um, in the home buying, selling refinancing process?
1: I am a mortgage processor. So basically, once the uh, loan officer um, gets the new borrower, whether it's refinance or purchase. Uh, they set up the loan. Uh, They will collect all of the documents, income assets, all that. Um, Once the file is ready, it comes to me. Um, I usually will take care of ordering appraisals, um, title insurance. Sometimes there's a loan officer assistant involved too, um, and uh, just other processing docs that are needed for the loan.
2: Yeah, she plays a very, very important role that not a lot of people know about. Um, it's, it's the back end stuff, you know, and we try to like hide that from the clients as far as what really goes on in the back end, but it is a lot of work. And so she, you know, communicates directly with the underwriter, with the bar, with the loan officer to basically get to the closing table, you know, from start to finish once it goes into her hands. So very, very important role. And she does an
0: amazing job. So thanks. <laughs> awesome. Do you, do you want to introduce yourself Chris? <clears throat>
2: Yeah, my name is uh, Chris Barrientes. Um I am a loan officer. Um, my NMLS is 333204. I've uh, been in the business now for whew, almost 20 years. Um, you know, definitely wore a few different hats in this industry over the years. Um, lived in Colorado for six years, um, moved back about two and a half years ago, um, joined this uh, great company, this great group. And uh, my job is basically to Pre-approve a client um, in the very, very beginning. Um, kind of set up a stage, a game plan of basically what to do, what not to do, um, and you know try to find the best you know loan that's going to fit their situation because it's not a one size fits all type of loan. There's so many different things that's going to, you know, obviously appeal <laughs> to one buyer versus another. So it's my job to get that all nice and ready, whether it's a purchase or a refinance. And then once it is under contract or whatever, then Teresa basically takes over on the back end.
0: Okay. So you're kind of where people should start when they want to get approved. Correct. Correct.
3: Okay.
0: Cool. And Danny, do you want to introduce yourself?
3: Hey, I'm Danny Tron. I've been in business for a little bit under five years. Um, went full time real estate about three years ago. Um, so I'm charged with working with buyers and listing eight, um, some of their houses and working with investors with rentals as well. Um, yeah, so I've had the pleasure of working with Marlena and Adam.
0: Yeah, so Danny is our realtor, so he's helping us uh navigate the process of both selling and buying at the same time, which is new for us and uh we'll talk about all that stuff. So we kind of just want to start with the basics here of just buying 101. Um so one of the biggest questions I got um was first time buying? Like, where do you even start? Like, how do you even go about finding someone to help you get pre-approved?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I hear that all the time. Um, And it is kind of a loaded question too, because a lot of clients have different questions like, well, what's the minimum credit score? How much should we be down? There's so much that's going to go into this. And so The first place where to start is talk to a professional, a licensed loan officer, um, someone that has experience too. Someone that's been doing this for a long time because, you know, last thing you want to do is work with someone who's fresh in the market. That's just going to be, well, maybe you can do this, maybe you can do that without some kind of clear game plan. And so it's just talking to someone who's going to kind of set the stage. And so that's kind of my role too, as far as how much you put down, where your credit scores are at. If your credit scores aren't there, what do we need to do to get there? Where's the money coming from for the down payments? There's just so many things. So it's just talking to someone first, a licensed loan officer.
0: So do people like, say you're uh, like, I'm lucky and Teresa's actually my sister. So um, she's really helps us through this process. Every time we've, um, with our first time home buying, refining and now with selling and buying, Uh, she's always like our spirit guide through that process. Mm -hmm. So I'm I feel really fortunate in that, but most people don't have someone, you know, in their family or their friends that work in that industry. So like, do you just start with a Google search? Like, is that a good place to start? Or um, like, how do people typically find you?
2: No, that's a great question. Um, So Google is actually not bad, but (laughs) we want to be careful with is, you know, a lot of companies will do a lot of advertising on Google and it's just kind of a, well, here's this lead, give them a call or whatever. Um, it really does come down to finding someone through a referral is always the best, you know, even if it's a neighbor, um, really anything, It's just talking about it and like, oh, who do you use and how they do it for you? Um, but also, you know, no one having talking with a company that's going to know the area. So name recognition is also very, very important as well, um, versus, you know, maybe just kind of a small mom and pop shop, which is not bad. It's just, you never know what you're going to get into. So
0: right on. Okay. So people want to know what are the minimum requires requirements for first time home buyers?
2: Again, that's kind of one of those questions because, um, there's so many things that go into this. Um, as far as the basics go, we have programs out there to where literally you could just put $1,000 down and you can get into a house for a first time home bar. Um, that's executed through the Minnesota housing finance authority. Um, and basically it, it is income restricted. So you can't make too much money. Um, but it also goes by household too. So the more people in your house, the more of an income, you know, basically, um, they're going to be a lot lenient on that income restrictions. Um, and then also, we, we, we actually offer a pretty amazing grant as well. It's called the Wish Grant. Um, it, it's basically a four to one match. So if you're able to come up with a certain amount of money, we'll match it four times that. So kind of the, the dollar figure we've been using is if you're able to come up with 5,500, then we can um, give a grant of 22,000 that can be used for your down payment and your closing costs. So again, as there's, a, you know, so many different programs out there, it's always good to just start with that phone call with that launch start first.
0: And those programs, those are Minnesota based programs because we're here in Minnesota. Uh, but obviously wherever you live, um, every state has different options and programs available, spe- usually specifically for first time home buyers, correct?
2: That is correct. That okay. is correct.
0: Um, And people want to know, what if you have bad credit or no credit? And this is one that I think is a big misconception um, because Adam and I actually had terrible credit when we wanted Mm -hmm. to buy our first home. Um, And again, Teresa really helped us through that process of fixing our credit, which I think a lot of people don't realize is something that you can even do. Um, So Teresa, do you want to talk about like that process of how you can fix your credit or how you can have, find someone to help you do that?
1: Um, yeah, definitely. I think um, sometimes people are a little hesitant to even like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to get a mortgage loan. You know, my credit is so bad or I have these yes. collections or whatever. <laughs> um, but again, just like Chris says, reiterating, reach out to a professional, you know, ask somebody for a referral because a lot of times if we do pull your credit, if a loan officer does pull your credit and it is lower, they can look at it and say, hey, if you pay down this credit card, if you open this new credit card, if you pay off this collection, whatever, we have simulators that will tell us what you need to do to be able to get your credit score up to the point to where you can get pre-approved.
0: Yes, and I will um, I, I will attest to that because like I said, <laughs> we had a horrible credit and we really didn't think that it was ever going to be possible for us. Yeah. Um, and just with like anything else, diligence and baby steps, we were able to kind of hack away at our debt and bring those credit scores up to be good enough to purchase our first home, um, which has now put us in a situation to go and buy another home. So um, it is possible, you guys. It is. Yeah. It is. And
2: um, you <laughs> kind of to penny back off of Teresa. A lot of times it doesn't take much and it doesn't take yeah. that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have clients in our pipeline right now that literally within 30 days had no credit score. Literally none to a credit score now, they're buying a four hundred thousand dollar house. So that's amazing. It's really not that hard.
0: Yeah. And um another thing I think people you talked quickly about down payments, but I just wanted to come back to that because that's another aspect that I think people feel like they have to have twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars saved up to buy a home. Um, but there are so many programs and other ways to help you um you know, different options you have for making your down payment. So does anybody kind of want to go over what maybe those different options can be for people?
2: You Well, first I'm going to have Teresa this because she deals with this a lot. Um, <laughs> as far as cash goes, Teresa, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Clearly no, just cash.
1: No, we do not accept cash down payments. So whatever you have, put it in the bank and you want it seasoned. So if you're saving money up um you know if you've got cash coming whatever you put it in the account we want 60 days past that any large deposits that are put into your account are going to have to be sourced meaning we have to show where that money came from so if it's five thousand dollars that somebody paid you back we need to source that money so it will have to either be a copy of the check that they gave you or other kind of documentation however it was received so any kind of cash we cannot accept that. So just make sure that if you do have it, you're depositing it way ahead of time. Um, so that when the time comes and you do need to use that money for your down payment, it's seasoned and we don't have to source it and you're good to go. Okay.
0: Now what are other options? Like, I know for us, like we use Adams 401k for our down payment. So like, Mm -hmm. what are different options that people can have, um, to have that money for it?
1: Um, Yeah, so for with a 401k loan, we will just need the statement. um, So whatever your 401k statement is, and then we'll just need to show the documentation of the withdrawal and you just contact them to see um, how you can take the money out. And then they will usually either send a mail a check or wire the money I'm not. it depends on the company. Um, Once that is done, we will just need to show those funds deposited into your account. And then your updated transaction history, showing that money coming out. So documentation is very important to show each step of the way where the money's coming from.
0: Okay, are there like other options for people for down payments that like outside of just saving yeah. money or like if you yeah. don't have a 401k, um, uh, what other options?
1: Yep, gift options um, that can come from a relative um, are always a good option and we do that a lot. Um, and with that, um, a gift letter will need to be filled out by the donor and um, the borrower and then um, usually just a copy of a cashier's check and the cashier's check needs to be made out directly to the title company for the amount on the gift letter and it needs to come from the donor as the remitter. Okay.
0: Yeah. And if, Chris,
1: if oh. you have anything else to add to that because yeah, I know well, a lot of times that that's um, we have a lot of issues with it. Yeah,
2: well, a, a gift can be used also for the full down payment and closing costs too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, a gift can be used to where you're literally as a borrower putting no money down. Yeah. And, um, you know, a gift is a gift. It just has to come from a relative um, or a fiance even. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that can be used and we use that in a lot of situations. Conventional, it's really, really easy showing that gift because literally it's just, here's the cashier's check. Here's the gift letter from the donor. And it's a lot less to prove. But if we go FHA, it's not that bad either. It's just showing the actual statement from that donor too, to make sure the funds where that's coming from. So gifts, we we see a lot of gifts. Uh, We really, really do. So that's the other big one as well.
0: So, okay. So if someone doesn't have a 401k, they don't have family members that are willing to give them money. Um, You know, they don't have a huge savings. Um, You know, maybe they have their living paycheck to paycheck. That was another question we got, like... Mm -hmm. What, what options do they have then, uh, to, to have that down payment
2: thousand dollars, Minnesota housing. Um, and again, a lot of different states offer that exact same program. Um, it is, it is state by state, but it pretty much follows the same guidelines. If they can come up with a thousand dollars, then they can get into that house.
0: Okay. So stop getting yeah. Starbucks for a few months yes. and you have yes. a down payment.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: A couple and, money um, here another, and there.
1: another thing too to touch on, I think, um, and Chris, you would know more about this would be the VA loans, which is no money down. And that would be for veterans.
0: Okay, Correct.
2: Yep. VA loans. If you are a veteran, um, you know, literally no money down whatsoever. You can get in there no money down and you can have the sellers a lot of times pay for your closing costs. The only thing you are responsible for are your closing costs, but there's ways around that too. You can either look at your interest rate and say, I want to take a little bit higher interest rate to cover all those closing costs, or I want to have the seller pay for it. So that's just what you're going to use with a professional like Danny, when he goes and negotiates that, uh, you know, offer for you. So
0: right on. So this is another reason why it's so important to have good people on your team that know what they're doing, that are seasoned and have a lot of experience in all of this. Um, Another big question we got was about having two years of income um, with the same employer. Um, And if there are any like loopholes or tips to get around that, because so many people are, um, you know, working non-traditional jobs now Mm -hmm. and are self-employed. So what advice do you have for people um, who maybe don't have that traditional two years of income?
1: Um, so I'll I'll just touch on the regular W two income and I'll let Chris touch on the self employment because he's very good at that part. <laughs> um, so traditional W two income we do need two years history. This does not need to be with the same job. Um, it does need to be the same type of job. We like to see, but it does need to be a full two years, and we do need that full two years.
2: Yeah, the full <laughs> two years, and you know, keep in mind too. I mean it during COVID, a lot of people weren't working. And so
1: people understand Any gaps of employment can be explained, so.
2: Correct. I mean, let's say (laughs) you've got a two-year history filled out on your application, but you've got seven months where you aren't working because of COVID. Um, And we see that a lot. Again, it's just explaining that, you know, I was out for seven months because of this, this, and this. And so it's just that two-year picture of where this person's been. That's all.
1: Yeah. Um, And then for self-employment,
2: yeah, self-employment. I mean, typically you need to be in business for two years. There's a lot of companies that start right off the bat, want to buy a house, um, but you got to be in business for two years. Um, now, we are able to just use one year's worth of tax returns, um, believe it or not, if you haven't been in business, because typically you had to be in business for five years in order for us just to see your last year's tax returns. And a lot of times as businesses grow over the years, you're going to show more income. So we want to just see really your most recent um, one year's tax returns. And, um, one of our programs, um, through Fannie Mae, we can just see just one year's tax returns, but you have to be in business for at least two years. That's the biggest thing.
0: Okay. So again, you just gotta do the work, um, and, and put it in. All right. So here's a question for Danny, since we haven't heard much from you yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so a lot of people are doing what we're doing right now and are selling and buying at the same time in this crazy market uh, what's your advice? Like what, what should the process look like? Where do, where should people start? Um, should they sell first or buy first or yeah, it's a lot. Well, it depends on
3: situation, right? So if you're renting, looking to buy a house, you're actually in the best seat right now, I think the market right now is so competitive where (laughs) if you're thinking about selling a house to buy a house, your main competitor are people who are currently renting or leasing a house or apartment. you know, their monthly income, they, they know where they're at interest rates are so low, right, Chris, historically low. So that being, they can afford a little bit more. So when you get into these bidding wars, these houses, you know, oftentimes people are renting or winning because they don't have a home to sell. Um, they know that with the lower mortgage rate, there's less than what they're paying per what they're renting, so that would be primary primary um, competition. Now, if you're have a house to sell, like Nolan and Adam, get that house ready to sell, like get it buttoned up, have it you know staged, have a stage con- consultation, have photography ready, have the house ready to go. So when you do go in to put an offer in on a house that you love, that house is ready to hit the market. next day so that way you have a stronger offer because most sellers they're willing to entertain an offer if you have a backup home to sell but if the house isn't ready and you need two weeks three weeks they're going to say no and 99 percent of the time they might not even take that offer it's not strong enough but if i can sell a story say hey you know what we're ready to go the house is ready to list it tomorrow it's in this price range the city it's going to sell quickly it's as good as if they don't have a house to sell let's go ahead and take that deal um, that would be my advice. Definitely sit down and do a consultation first with a realtor, uh, especially on the house to sell. Uh, you, it, we just got to coordinate the two, right? Yeah. Danny,
1: can I, just... I actually,
2: oh, I'm Go sorry. Can, ahead, can I ask you, ask you a question? Cause I know in the summertime, um, you pretty much were guaranteed your home was going to sell and now you're always going to hit that closing date when, when you actually buy the house. Are you seeing that now in the fall too, to where you're that confident to where if you can, you know, let's say, um. Marlene puts an offer on a home and it gets accepted and it's going to close. Let's say um, on November fifth. Are you pretty confident you can sell our house by then?
3: Absolutely, we can sell it. I'm confident. I don't, have to be confident. But you got to <laughs> be careful. The That's what I want to hear, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got to know the market. You got to know the market because if you're, you know, selling a cabin home way up north, you no know, different timelines. Um, mm-hmm. Inner city condos are different timelines. Townhomes are different timelines. You know. Um, in the market fluctuates based on what's going on in the news media, what the trends are, you know, new construction, where are the new construction is at, where are people gravitating towards, you know, are they moving from the, into the city or moving away from the city? You know, if you're looking at suburbs or rurals and within the city, all three different markets have different timelines. Um, so it comes to setting proper expectations. Um, yeah, during spring and summer, historically, spring and summer is very, very hot, very busy for sellers. Um, You know, everybody wants to sell in spring, but buyers want to buy year round. So, you know, so it's never really a best time to sell. It's always the best time to sell all the time, especially right now, the inventory is so low, demand is so high. It's the first time where buyers and sellers are in the same market together. Typically, typically out of recessions, usually one or the other, you know, it's going to be straight up buyer's market after recession or seller's market. But this is the first time in history where buyers and sellers are simultaneously in the same market, same time.
0: Wow. Now that being said with this market, um, and obviously I know it looks different depending on where you live, especially (laughs) if you're on the coast, I know it's like even crazier. Um, but people really wanted to know like, what's going to happen with the way the market is going right now. Like for people who are buying and overpaying and paying huge cash differences, like, are these people going to be upside down on their mortgage? Like, is that going to affect the, the, <laughs> I see you shaking your head. No, I'll let you talk. <laughs>
3: well, from my experience, just looking at like people are referring back to that bubble crash of two thousand and seven, right? Yeah. Back then, you had so much nasty stuff going on, right? I and mean, Chris, correct me wrong, you had like subprime mortgages. People mm-hmm. who made thirty thousand dollars a year say, "Hey, you got proof of four hundred thousand dollars house?" Yeah. yeah. Arm arm rates, you know, our <laughs> son don't know nothing. The rates change after overnight. Your mortgage doubled, and people had to leave their houses. You had so much nasty stuff going on. Things were unregulated back in 2007. So yeah, we had a bubble burst. But if you zoom out, if you look at the 4% um, annual growth of the median household um, value, you you zoom out and that 4% line is gradually going up. 2007, we had a bubble, we were above that line. So it popped. Subsequent years in 2009 to 2013, we were in a trough. We were well below that line. It wasn't until 2020 when we're actually back to that 4% line. So what people are looking at paying over paying, they're not, we're just right back to where we're supposed to be. It's just that you had like a 21, 31% jump within a year or two, but moving forward, we're at that line right now. So we're not at a bubble.
0: Yeah. Do you guys want to talk more? Cause I keep hearing people saying, oh, the market's going to crash. Oh, I'm going to wait for it to crash. And I'm like again, because my sister, I know more about like the safety nets that have been put in place so that that doesn't happen again. So do, does anybody want to talk about that so that people stop saying that it's it's going to crash again? Because
1: yeah, I think I people think are Danny, waiting for that and
0: they're, like it's yeah. not going to happen.
1: Um, I think Danny did a very good job of explaining um, just what happened when the market did crash. We were doing subprime loans and I mean, they were like, 500 credit credit score, no income, loan done in a day, no problem, like everything, like everything was getting done. So obviously, like he said, people couldn't afford their mortgages, rates were changing. A lot of them were either interest only, they were getting approved on, um, or like he said, like a variable rate that could change in the drop of a dime. Um, now all of that's changed. I mean, we are so regulated um, to what we can and can't do. Um, a lot of that, you um, you know, has, has changed it so that we aren't getting, we can't do these super low credit scores. We have to document everything, income assets, everything, just so that that does not happen again.
0: Yeah. And I know even like when we refied last year and we had to have someone could come and do our appraisal, you were talking about how you used to be able to pick the person who would do the appraisal so that they would appraise the house for
1: the price it needed to be appraised at. But that's not, that's not the case anymore. No. And that was another huge problem of what happened with all of that is that these houses are like, okay, these people are buying for 580. I have to get 580. Well, it's really only worth 475, but I'll give you 580. And that that's what they did. And you know, now, Um, Like you said, things are a lot more regulated. We have to use an appraisal management company. We are not allowed to even talk to the appraisers anymore. So these management companies are the middlemen. They set up the appraisals. uh, The appraisers go out, they return it in their timeline, and we don't know even what it's going to be until it gets returned back.
0: Yeah, I want to talk more about appraisals because that was (laughs) some of the bad advice that I got was people telling me to skip an inspection and to pay the difference on appraisals and things like that. And I'm like, that is horrible advice. (laughs) And I don't, I, I get that it's a competitive market, um, especially like I said, and I, like I have friends who live on the East coast and it's like insane. Um, but I was just wondering like what advice you guys have, um, like when it does come to appraisals and, and this like idea that so many people are skipping inspections right now, um, just to like close a deal. Like, so what is, what is your professional advice on all of that?
1: Um, just going on inspections. I just want to, uh, make the difference or point out the difference. A home inspection is what is done uh, prior to an appraisal even being done. Um, and a lot of times uh, your purchase agreement will have an inspection contingency. Um, Danny, I don't know if you can touch on this. Are a lot of people uh, foregoing that right now just to try to get the house?
3: Yeah, so that's kind of trend started at the end of last year, I would say more prevalent last summer. Um, people were so competitive because demand is so high right? I mean, this trend probably go for the next three to five years because inventory is so low. Uh, There's not enough homes being built, not enough people want to list their houses where to move to. So with demand of buyers so high, people want to get more competitive. So what they've been doing is bringing an inspector with them to these showings. Uh, so they do like a quick visual inspection upon approval. If the sellers want to approve it, they can do their inspection during the 45 minute to one hour showing. But Obviously, you can't do that to every showing because you go broke with a million inspections. That's why you got to do a <laughs> consultation before, find out what your must haves are, don't you know where your compromises are, and don't break that. And then, yeah, so they bring inspectors the in, they like it, inspector gives a green light, they put an offer in, no to contingent inspection. That trend picked up into spring of this year. I was to enjoy the homes were not inspected if it gets into multiple offers. Now, you know, every, my job is to fiduciary duties to my clients. I want like to you guys the best deal. The best deal are houses that have been sitting for 14 days or more. Those ones you'll get under asking. Wow. If it's new and shiny that first weekend, yeah, it's gonna go It's multiple gone and it'd be, <laughs> it's, gone, it'd be gone, it's, like, it's, it's, it's your, Gone before you could even you go seven, look at it. <laughs> yeah, if you have seven homes you want to look at that day, you, that's the first house you saw. By the time you reach your seventh home, that first house is gone. So that became the norm, and then appraisal. Uh, you know, before we used to write, you know, appraisal contingency. If the house doesn't appraise, we will renegotiate, come to terms, or we we'll cancel the deal, and walk away. Again, now demand's so high, people are now saying, hey, we will guarantee a gap appraisal, where we will pay the difference if appraisals below our asking, we will cover the difference with cash, because that's tied into such low interest rates. Where previously people would put 20% down, now they're putting 5% down. So they're a budget 20%. So they have an extra 15% to play towards the appraisal gap. And it's just, it's just a shame because it's nuts. You've seen houses going for 35, 80, $120,000 over at that one house in Blaine and the Lakes listed for 750. sold for $875,000, you know, it's insane. Um, and they pay for it, but clients are from out of state living in 950000 900- square foot condo for a million bucks or whatever. So for them to go to Minnesota, it's a good deal. Um, so that's what you're competing against. But, um, just know that the value, if you do quote unquote overpay, you're technically not because the market where we're at with annual growth curve, you're right on that line. So there's no worries in future, you know, two years, three years down the road, you're not going to be underwater per se.
0: Okay. I was going to ask that, like what, what happens, what's happening to these people who are paying that that difference? Like, cause that's what it, so many people who aren't professionals and don't work in this industry, that's what they're saying. Right? Like, right. Oh, well, everybody's going to end it's up upside listing,
3: down. It's a listing strategy too, because we know that demand is so high, you have to be so competitive listing your home where five, 10 years ago, you're listing at 20% over asking, work your way down. Now people are listing 5%, 10% under the market value to get a million people into your house, to stir up the piranhas, I would say a bidding war (laughs) and they would bid themselves back up five, 10% above market value. So it's, it's kind of, you're still getting kind of the same results, you know, five, 10 years ago, you start high work down. Now you start low, end up getting high. Right. So that's where we're
0: at. All right. Uh, so Mm -hmm. our listeners want to know any home buying tips, if you've already used a first time buying program, so you've already, been a first-time home buyer, you want to buy again. I actually know who asked this question. She recently um, divorced. So I'm assuming her and her husband use that first-time home buying program. Um, You know, now she wants to buy a home on her own, but she's kind of already utilized those programs. So what like options or tips, I guess, would you have for someone who's already been a first-time home buyer?
2: Yeah. So a lot of these state programs like the Minnesota Housing and other states, they offer the same down payment type of program. It's just a lot of times you'll have that um, we call it a deferred second mortgage that's covering everything. Well, in this case, they're going to be paying it back monthly, but they can still get access to those funds if they're not a first time home buyer. Um, and a lot of times it's just three years too. And then you're almost considered a first time home buyer again, believe it or not. Like with our wish grant, everything else, after three years, you're considered a first time home buyer again. So just keep that in mind as well.
0: Awesome. Um, all right. So someone else wants to know what is earnest money and do you need it in, uh, do you need it cash on hand when you put in an offer?
1: Um, again, no cash. <laughs> we will need to source any earnest <laughs> we, money. We can't and, stress um, that
2: enough. No yes. cash. Don't
0: no show cash. up with a bunch of cash, please.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the government um, does
0: not like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll let Danny kind of touch on like the earnest money and how that works and, and you know, what's good, but basically on the lending portion, any earnest money that you put down, um, a lot of, uh, agencies now are doing like a wire transfer. So they'll just take it right out of the account and we will need to source that. And that money is credited to you at closing. So it comes off of your closing accounts, uh, your closing costs, I'm sorry. And then, um, also, goes towards the uh, minimum amount. Like if you are using the Wish program or something, um, the minimum fifty five hundred dollars that you have to have into the transaction.
2: Yeah, it's basically skid yeah. in the game. It's like I want to make an offer on this home. Well, I'm going to put a deposit. Down, you know, hold this house for me or whatever to get my offer accepted, and then obviously through that process. So,
3: Danny, do you want to touch base on that? Yeah. So your earnest money is kind of like your good faith. You know, so it depends on what contingencies you have, um, special contingency appraisal, finance contingencies, or a seller for home contingency. If one of those contingencies don't, you know, say it fall through, you get your earnest money back. But once you pass all those contingencies, that money is locked into that deal. So if you back out, you lose that money. So it's kind of like a money you're willing to risk, you know, it's kind of like in good faith. And obviously, typically industry standards use one percent of the purchase price, but some clients will put more to show the sellers that hey, we are serious that. You know, and then if they start waving contingencies, that's money willing to, to risk that just shows that more serious at buying that house. So,
0: Yeah. And, uh, just to go off of like making an offer, um, how do you make your offer stand out in this crazy market right now? And I know you touched on that a little bit, but, I um, just wanted to talk about that a little bit more.
3: Um, in the industry, it's all about relationships, right? Um, realtors, you know, more experienced, more seasoned ones, it's about communication, um you get into multiple offers, especially for, for example, I was listing a house, you know, the agents that call me, have the lenders call me, you know, kind of verify their client, make sure things good, shows me they're open to having an open dialogue um, and the terms are good, right? So if you're over asking inspections contingency, if you're not comfortable waiving inspection, see if you can find an inspector, again, networking, partnering, you want to lower the amount of days for that inspection contingency, you know, Back in the day, it used to be seven, 10 days. Now you're seeing three to five days because the shorter inspection contingency, if you walk away, the seller has a quick turnaround to put the house back up on the market. It doesn't go stale. Um, likewise, with appraisal as well. Um, so how we stand out is, you know, we we'll put an offer summary sheet together. So we present it to the agents you want to see in professional. Uh, again, our site is just tell, tell the story without crossing any, any lines of, you know, um, So we want to make sure that we tell the right story and get out there and get that deal done for you.
0: Yeah. So again, I think it's really just all about the people you're working with, right? It's kind of what it comes down to. Um, Now, someone wanted to know, how do I make sure my lender is giving me all of my options? I would say, ask them. (laughs) But (laughs) but if you guys want to answer that, you can. (laughs)
2: Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. I mean, first off, it, it is always good to at least get a second opinion. I mean, this is a very, very big purchase. I mean, probably the biggest purchase you're ever going to make. So it's always good to get a second opinion. I encourage all my clients to get a second opinion because 99% of the time they come back and they say, wow, we actually got you know, 20 different ideas and options from you versus here's your rate, here's your payment, here you go. You know, you know, the the seasons, the seasoned professionals, the ones that have been doing a long time, really try to create that game plan because, you know, we honestly, we want to be your loan officer for life. And so we want to put you in a situation where you're going to succeed. And so it just comes down to what terms the best for you, you know, do you plan on selling in five or six years, you know, whatever the case may be. So there's a lot to go into that.
0: Yeah. And it, it, this is all very nuanced too, right? Like this really just depends on your specific situation. Like you said, like, what are your goals? Like you really have to evaluate all that stuff before you start this process. Um, now let's kind of get into selling. We've talked lots about buying. Um, I think we've covered the basics. Um, so when it comes to selling your home, um, what are tips on selling? Um, oh, we talked about selling and buying at the same time. Um, and we talked about the best time of the year. You said, (laughs) any time, right? <laughs> 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 Always a good time to, to buy and sell.
3: Absolutely. Um, so right now going into the winter market, if you're planning on selling right now in the fall, definitely obviously go through consult, have professional photos done and outside of your house when it's still green out, uh, green photos, you know, really nice to show, especially during the winter. So let's say your house won't be ready to sell in two, three months, but then Minnesota, we have snow until. Next June, so it's, <laughs> it's nice to have much. nice green photos, right? Nice pretty photos to show, so it's gonna stand out because majority of other listings on Zillow or whatnot, third party apps, you see snow on the ground. Yours will be nice, lush and green. Uh, that's a couple of different marketing strategies we have to as well. Um, as for the listings, like what what are specific questions? Talking about prepping to list or
0: yeah. So so like someone asked, what do I absolutely need to do to sell for top dollar and fast?
3: Stage. Stage, stage, stage your home, meet with a professional staging <laughs> consultant. Um, I partner up with Lori Matson. She's an award-winning uh, stager in the Minneapolis area. Um, very reputable. Get an expert's opinion different eye. How we live inside our house is different than how we're gonna set our house up to sell. Uh, to have a professional eye within your home prep it do it to make it presentable declutter depersonalize your home get nice professional photography and then when you list it you know we got to make sure we do it appropriately you don't just go live the next day you got to have time to to incubate the market right you do coming soon's your marketing you're hitting up your networking really advertise get as much hits as possible get that schedule filled up uh, one of my strategies is trying to funnel the showings into certain hours of the day. So it makes it look like it's super busy. <laughs>
1: Love so the that way I-
3: buyers come in. Yeah, it's it's FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. You show up, and yes. then there's like a million people at your door. You're mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta put an offer in. So, I'll tell you, <laughs>
0: yes. well, we actually met with Lori last week, um, and yeah, she was incredible. She really helped us um, just realize that yeah, selling your home is really about marketing it, and the first thing people see are those photographs. So. Um, like she compared it to like, when you're staying at like a hotel, right. When you're looking at, maybe you're looking at Airbnbs or you're looking at hotels or whatever, like you want to stay somewhere that looks comfortable and clean and um, beautiful and aesthetically pleasing. Right. So, uh, she came into our house and reminded us, you know, I'm not criticizing your, um, your style, how you decorate your home or anything like that. Like my job is to help you market your home so that it sells quickly, um, so, in painting, right? Painting is one of those big things that's really—it sucks. I hate. I think most people don't like doing it. Um, but putting in that work and just putting some fresh paint on the walls can make a huge difference. And the trim—if you got lots of trim in your house—so um, that's actually a really
2: good point because we don't see that a lot on our side. You know <clears throat> what you guys actually have to do to sell your house is that cost upfront, Danny? Like when you want to stage your house, photographs like. You know, if I'm selling
3: my house, I mean, you know, whoa,
2: yeah, like that's how much a great, that that's a great
0: question.
3: Yeah. So the realtor, you know, part of, you know, realtor, we pay everything up front, you know, so it's one of those careers where we put more money up front before we guarantee we get paid. So. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, photography staging, you know, that's for my business anyways, we, we provide that to my clients, right? So it's kind of like a value add um that we provide so we want to make sure we provide the best service possible to our clients um so the, like i said the suggestions for painting and tips you know obviously that's on the seller um i know that some stages will have a like warehouse with furniture if the house is vacant so they can rent furniture to make it staged to make a different look or feel to the house but i would say nine out ten times most stages will use what you currently have on the home uh, to stage hmm. So you're basically, I
2: mean, going to almost guarantee top dollar and for it to sell fast when you stage, I mean, it's, or it gives you the best, puts you in the best position to do that. Absolutely. All
0: it's right. So, stuff. yeah. So another question, um, someone wants to know how long is it smart to stay in your home before selling it?
3: Two years. Two years. Capital gains, Chris, that's all yeah. right.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, every situation is different jobs come up, you have to move to a different state, whatever the situation may be. Um, Yeah, I mean, typically two years, I mean, you're going to see that appreciation, what we have been seeing, um, you know, continue to go up. So that's just going to give you some more buying power as well, when you get into a new property. But um, yeah, I agree with that.
0: All right, Um, (laughs) this is a real question I got. And the person did say, sorry if this is a dumb question, but they wanna know if uh, a buyer would rather you paint or leave them a gift card. I personally, as a buyer, I would prefer if you did the painting than leave me a gift card, but that's just me.
3: Well, assuming the painting was done before we sell your house, right? Well, I think,
0: I think they're trying to, opt out. they're trying to opt out of painting. I think, think they're trying to, uh, leave a gift card oh. for <clears throat> the new buyers for paint instead yep. of actually painting, uh, gotcha.
3: <laughs> well, if you opt out of painting, then you're going to have the best photos and that first impression might not be the best. So you might not get the top dollar for your house.
0: Right. All right. Uh, last Selling question, um, if my sewer backed up after a hundred year rain, do I need to disclose that?
3: Yes, it affects the enjoyment and livability of your house. Yes, absolutely. Disclose everything. Um, also like pre- a pre-inspection of your house too. I do recommend that I know it's a more upfront cost, but it kind of eliminates a lot of, um, surprises during the inspection of an accepted offer. Um, I know Sydney, Minneapolis and a handful of cities require what we call truth and sale housing inspection, which is a pre-inspection of your house for major, you not know, just normal safety aspects of your house, make sure everything's up to date, up to code. And then once you repair that, get a certificate of occupancy, meaning that it's done. That also gives buyers more confidence going into your home too, to put an offer in. And homes that are in those areas with a Tish inspection report that's clean, oftentimes Buyers will waive their inspection contingency. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but oftentimes they do because in a multiple offer situation, they're so like, all right, the city looked at the house, it's a clean, bill of health. Let's go ahead, let's do it. Based on their visual inspection doing the showing they feel confident with that, that's okay. But yeah, otherwise, um, you know, radon testing. If you know the house has radon within the last two years, you've done it already, you know, disclose that. because uh, radon, if if they Buyers go in, they do a radon test, and it's high above 4.0, you know, pico liters, whatever. They're gonna ask the sellers to to remediate that. Usually, that's fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars cost. It's better to have that know now than later, right? That's something that most buyers will not negotiate on. It, it has to be done because that's a safety. It's cancerous gas, you know, causing right. gas. So yeah. we want to make and sure that, that's gonna be done beforehand.
0: Yeah, and that that's um, for people who have basements, right? Like if you live somewhere, if you live in. Texas and you don't have a basement doesn't really yeah apply.
3: yeah anything anything that's below ground anything that's underground will have um, potential to have radon right um, sewer sewer clean out too get a sewer scope it's like a hundred bucks to get scoped out at least you know if you have tree roots or broken pipes get that done I had a had a deal in Hastings we had to cancel because we during our my client's inspection we did a sewer scope and the main pipe below the uh, frontage road there was broken and gone and there was mm-hmm. like legit a cesspool underneath there and mm-hmm. that road was close to being buckled in and breaking down so we we went to the cellar we canceled and it ended up being like a 30,000 hour repair
0: Oh, and the cellar. Wow. yeah. So, wow. Like, yeah, so that's something. That, we, yeah, actually I actually have a yeah, friend who so. works in in um, sewers and plumbing, and he uh, he always scopes our pipes for us. And it's something. I, do you feel like that's something that some people or a lot of people overlook when buying?
3: They do because that's the things you don't see that's going to cause the most money, right? Of yes. homeownership, like water damage, broken pipes, things behind walls you don't know about. Um, so, yeah, it's the more you disclose that, the more confidence you to, to buyers, the higher um, value you're going to get for your house, But the higher the offer will be. And if it goes to multiples, you'll get better deals, too. And let me add on
2: that, too, one that um, sometimes people forget about as well is that if you're not on city water and if you have a well, get that well test as well. Make sure that you've got mm-hmm. clean water. Um, and if you don't, handle it right away. A lot of times it's really easy fix um, in order to bring that kind of up to code because lenders will look mm-hmm. at that as well. So, and I can always tell more or less I'm working with a new agent versus someone's experience because in the purchase contract, we already have that water test done and over with. That way it saves us
3: time having to get someone out there. So, yeah. And steward septic too. I know there's new codes yep. around the counties last, what, two years ago, three years ago. And I'll say nine out of 10, they're all not compliant. So, I mean, that's $15,000, $25,000 to get new mound system too,
0: so. Wow. Uh, any other tips you guys can think of that maybe points really important points that we didn't hit in the buying or selling. I know I have a few miscellaneous questions here, um, but anything else? No. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest uh, thing
2: I that, mean that we can all stress, um, being professionals is talk to a professional, talk to a Danny, talk to a loan officer, um, because it all, it's all going to start there. And all these questions are going to get answered because again, every situation is different. Um, Danny brought a lot of good points that we don't see, um, And so, yeah, that, that would just be my biggest advice is just talk to someone. It never hurts just to talk to someone.
0: Awesome. Um, so someone did ask about tips on building. Now I know like building a home is like, we probably could do a whole nother hour long episode on that. (laughs) Um, but just like, um, Danny, I know recently you talked about this. Um, so just maybe just some quick little basics or a good place for someone to start if they want to build a home.
3: Yep. So when you build a house, just know that you still want representation. You want you know, a realtor professional representing you on building on the buy side. Most builder agents reps, so like, oh, that's fine. You don't need that agent. So you gotta remember who's their fiduciary duty to. Their duty is to the builder. They don't really care about the client, right? So you need an agent that's going to represent you and kind of keep the builder, you know, accountable through the whole steps. You know, negotiate different. Parson's inspection, you know, most builders like, yeah, we don't do an inspection we we'll just go through the final walkthrough, at it, the And it's great, but no, you want agents gonna be an advocate for you. They're gonna say, hey, we wanna be there during the foundation pour. We wanna make sure everything's good, the footing's good. During the framing, once framing's up and drywall's up, you don't know how things were put together. So you wanna make sure that you have a, an agent has good relationship with these builders, get in there, do a walkthrough inspection of framing, electrical, plumbing, after drywall, then do the final walkthrough, and they really push to hold builders accountable when they build these houses. Um, as for the process, yes, schedule time with the builder rep with your agents present, um, so that gives them different perspective when they're throwing a bunch of paperwork and ideas at you. Just have someone kind of, kind of bridge the gap between the two parties there, right? And as for finances, talk to Chris. He'll take care of you. I know most builders have their own programs and whatnot and try to, wow, well, you say, oh, hey, we'll give you this discount, but the rates are horrible. But uh, hey, you get a free basement, but you're overpaying five <laughs> points in your interest. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, right? But I get a free basement. No, right. talk to Chris. You can save more money. And then you can build a basement that we packaged in together and still save money, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's pretty much the same process. Like anything else is
2: buying a house. Um, buying, you know, a new build, it's just a little bit longer because you got to wait for the house to be built. But other than that, it's the same process, you know, the appraisal goes out there, the home isn't complete when the appraisal goes out there, but the appraisals could come out there and say, your home is worth this. And then usually at the very end, that appraisal goes back to say, yes, this home is complete. And then you're pretty much signed off on the lending side.
3: So, yeah, just don't so- budget wise too. Yeah, yeah you look at $500,000 a house, you're going to end up at 600 something. So just yeah. right. keep yourself oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's what yeah. I was going to ask about next. Building <laughs> tends to like, the price tends to accumulate a lot oh, faster, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure you're budgeting <laughs> for that. Um, and someone else wanted to know, how do you sell a home that is in a trust?
3: Mm. Oh, that's interesting. So um, typically you it the same. You've got to find out who's the executor right? Mm-hmm. The trust, who's the trustee? Uh, typically is, is there a probate situation? Did the person died, did you inherit the house? Even it's during probate process, just know that process could take in from two to eight months. Is it disclosed? Mm-hmm. I would get a professional person from the title side, um, person that we partner with, get the title involved right away so they can dig in and see if there's any hidden skeletons in any closets that we know, know about. Um, but typically, the executors the, of the trust is who will be the point of contact, the primary decision maker. Um, we don't know is it a vocational trust. You know, can we make changes after the fact of making decisions of listing the house? But the, the process remains the same. It's just a little more details on who do we talk to, who's going to sign off on paperwork, um, stuff like that. But general processing, 90% time, same like normal.
0: All right. Um... Last question I have here, Uh, someone wants to know, what is the difference between APR and interest rates?
2: Uh, Yeah, I get that a lot. So um, basically your APR is your interest rate and your closing costs, kind of a snapshot of the whole loan when it's paid back, let's say it's a 30 year mortgage. So let's say you have an interest rate of three and a half percent and you've got a 30 year mortgage. Well, with your closing costs, that's gonna be involved with that that's going to bring your interest rate, turns into your APR a little bit higher than your actual interest rate because it's the total cost of that loan with your points, fees, everything included, plus your interest rate. So it's a little confusing. It really is. <laughs> and a lot of people really want to know. Um, I get that question a lot like, hey, well, what's your APR? And a lot of times I, I take a step back and I ask them, well, let me ask you this. Um, do you know what an APR is? Cuz a lot of people don't, but they just know to ask that question. And a lot of times that APR isn't the best for everyone, you know. A, a lower APR versus a higher APR can be different for different situations. So, again, it just comes down to how long you're going to stay in that house because if you want to have, you know, that low interest rate but you're going to pay 9 points up front, Well, that's a lot of money. That means you got to stay in the house for at least 18 or 19 years to recoup that versus if you're planning on selling within two to three years, so.
0: Yeah, so again, really important to have someone who is knowledgeable and can help walk you through all your different options um, and the process, right? Uh, Wow, this conversation has been awesome. I think this would be really helpful for a lot of people. A lot of people are buying and selling right now, Um, so yeah. This is great. Um, do you guys each kind of want to plug where people can find you? Um, if you guys have social media, um, or websites or anything like
1: that.
2: Oh uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook. Um, again, my name is Chris Barrientes. Um, my telephone number is 651-233-8335. I'm always available weekends, nights. I mean, this is the job. This is what we signed up for because we want to make sure that we're giving you that best service because Nine times out of ten, when you're really, really engaged and you want to look at homes, it's on the weekend. Same as, as far as realtors and their time schedules as well. So, always available. Also, have a, a interest or a, a website, um, lowratechris.com. That's L O W R A T E C H R A S.com. So, cool.
0: And do you only work with people who live in Minnesota, or what states can you uh, yes. help people? I, mean, I can
2: actually lend in 48 states, um, which is very nice because I'm backed amazing. by a bank. So, and I do a lot of loans in it and I do a lot of purchase loans too in different states as well. And I've had clients who are, you know halfway through the process back out because I was offering them a better program better game plan and everything else. And of course, it's not fun conversations I have to have with the listen agent saying that we're changing, you know lenders in the middle of the process but (laughs) always able to come through. And that's why, you know having such a strong support team like Teresa um, gives me, you know, that capability to do that basically. So 48 states, the only ones I can't do is New York and Vermont.
0: So. All right. Yeah, if you're in any state except for uh New York or Vermont, definitely hit up Chris. He's been awesome. Mm-hmm. All you guys have been awesome to work with. Um, and Danny, where can everybody find you?
3: So uh, my name is Danny Truong, T-R-U-O-N-G. I am on Facebook. I'm also the team leader final group DT Realty M N. Uh, our website is dtrealtymn.com. I'm also on Instagram as well. Uh I believe we're friends there. I'm Alina on Instagram, so you can find me
0: there. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. And Teresa, I, you're not on social media, are you?
1: No, I'm just on the, <laughs> I'm a paper pusher. So I'm on the back end she's she's
0: oh. in the, in the background <laughs> and you definitely want her in
1: the background yes, your on team once you're in the process. Yes,
2: But, but again, she plays one of the most important roles. And um, yes. again, Teresa, how do you feel about cash?
0: <laughs> no cash <laughs> put it in the bank and put yes. it in the bank well in advance like yes. asap
2: like today <laughs> awesome
0: thank you guys so much That's so, our NMLS 378560 and chris barionette mortgage banker nm LS 333204 with Refine Lending, Division of Goldwater Bank, NM, LS 452955. All programs are subject to change at any time without notice. Equal Housing Opportunity Lender.